Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Excited about our theme for this year, which we've been saying every week, our theme is better. Everyone say better. So this comes from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. I want to just briefly review this about the story of Mary and Martha in Scripture, um, noted by the gospel writer Luke. And once you read that for you, it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, actually only one. Mary has chosen what is, everyone say that word together, better, better. and it will not be taken away from her. And this story of Mary and Martha, we don't just are seeing it this year, not just as being a story that is about two particular people, but it's about two particular ways of life that we can go about following Jesus. Because what you've got here, Martha, we believe, represents the cultural way of following Jesus. That though we're with Jesus, we're following Jesus. Martha was in the presence of Jesus, yet she was distracted, she was worried, and she was upset, right? And so what we have said this year is we wanna take the way of Mary, which is listening, attentive. She was in the presence of Jesus, but she was listening, attentive, at the feet of, and in the presence of of Jesus, And what we are hoping that happens this year in your life is you become deeply, consciously aware of the presence of God. And the better way is simply this. The better way is being with Jesus. That you can be aware of Jesus in the midst of the mundaneness, the craziness of your everyday, ordinary life. That you can be aware of his presence and live in light of that and live in the power of what that brings. I want to share a couple of quotes with you that, to me, kind of embody this, that, that kind of maybe give some, some teeth to this to help you understand. A.W. Tozer said this, at the heart of the Christian message is God himself waiting for his redeemed children to push into conscious awareness of his presence. This is the heart and goal of better, is that you actually become consciously aware of God's presence, not just in a prayer closet, not just in a service, but no matter where you are, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a week, you know that it's not the God, if God is there, God is there, it's are we consciously aware? And training into that and being aware so we can live with power and purpose and wholeness and all the things that we see Jesus living in. The second quote is this. This is by a guy named Brother, this is by a guy named Brother Lawrence. He wrote a very famous book. It was called Practicing the Presence of God. He was actually a cook in a monastery. And so he had, the, you know, he had this great idea. He was going to go and just be with God all day long in prayer and solitude, and they put him in the kitchen. <laughs> and so he's having to cook and do all of, all of this Martha-type work. But he decided, even though I'm doing Martha-type work, I don't want that to keep me from living a merry kind of life. So he's, he set the intention to say, though I am in the kitchen, I want to make the kitchen a holy place where I am with him and he is with, is with me and we are happy together. So he set out, he trained himself in this and then he wrote a whole book about the process. Like I said, it's called Practicing the Presence of God and this is actually something he said. He said, the time of busyness does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in his great tranquility as if I were upon my knees before the blessed sacrament. 
And the Blessed Sacrament, he was Catholic. So he had this, I mean, that was the most holy place to be is, is on his knees in the Blessed Sacrament. But he said, I don't want there to be a difference from my work in the kitchen from the most holy place of being in the Blessed Sacrament. I know God is just as accessible in that place as he is in that place. Y'all are y'all here in my heart. This is what we're saying is better in 2024. That as we live into this and train into this, we can actually have this as a reality in our lives, okay? So we started last week a series within a series, Better, but then we're talking about better relationships. Everyone say better relationships. Because I don't know about you, relationships have, have a way of pulling us from Jesus or pushing us towards Jesus, right? We, we told the story, the book of Luke notes how there was a man who was paralyzed and he couldn't move himself. But he wanted to get to Jesus, but Jesus was popular. So Jesus was in a house teaching and there were crowds around him. So the, he, this crippled guy had four friends that wanted to get him to Jesus, but they couldn't find a way through the crowds because there were so many people listening to Jesus teach. So what did they do? They went to the place where Jesus was and they went on the roof, cut a hole in the roof and lowered the man down to get in the presence of Jesus. And what we said was, is number one, this is the kind of friends we need and the kind of friends and relationships we need to be. Are we pulling people away from Jesus or are we pushing people and helping them create a space where they can be with Jesus? So this is what we're talking about, better relationships. I want to encourage you next week, we're going to be talking about marriage. Better marriage. Come on, somebody. Better marriage. So if, I don't know, maybe your spouse don't come to church, maybe you could bribe them. Maybe you give them a little bribe. <laughs> maybe like, Hey, babe, I'm going to cook something real good. You know, you want to come to church with me. You know, just, just I, I would just encourage. But also, if you have friends or family that you know they're struggling in their, in, in their relationship, next week would be a great week to bring them. Great week to invite. Say you'll take them out to, you know, Plaza Azteca after church or something like that. Or Second Street is really good. Or sushi right across the street. I'm really hungry. So I'm really looking forward to after service. But God wants to do a lot here before we get to that. But I just want to say better marriage next week, and then we're going to be doing that for two or three weeks. We'll see how things go. But better relationships. And what I love about Jesus is that Jesus is not just a savior, a God that just says, do this. But he actually says, do this, and then models the way. How many of you know the best parents aren't the ones that bark orders, they're the ones that set the example? The best bosses, the best leaders are not just those that bark orders and, you know, like, hey, you do as I do, not, no, say like, do as I say, not as I do. Have you ever heard that? Thankfully, that was not Jesus. We have somebody that says, because I have set you an example, do this, right? He set the example before he barked in the order. And what I love is that Jesus is the model of healthy relationships. He was the one that came and set the example for what healthy relationships can look like. So we wanna look at um, how Jesus modeled these better relationships and how that affects us. I wanna start today, I wanna give you um, an appetizer. How many of you here, you like appetizers? You are appetizer people. Okay, y'all are a lot better than second service. Second service, there was no appetizer people. They just want to get in, get the main dish, and get out. They weren't like, yo, can, can, I mean, how many to go Mexican rest, restaurant? Bring me four buckets of chips. You know what I'm saying? Four baskets. Four baskets. Give me the white cheese. Give me the white sauce. Give me the white cheese. Give me the salsa. Is there a guac cart here? Yeah. Guac cart, go ahead and come on over here, right? I'm about some appetizers. 
Give me some appetite. Like, I, that's what I'm saying. That's why you go to the Mexican restaurant is before you get the fajitas, the lunch fajitas, steak with no onions. Before you get that, you get the appetizer. And so what I want to give you today, before I dive into the meat of the, before I dive into the, meat of the message, I want to give you an appetizer. Okay, and as we're talking about Jesus modeling re, re, relationships, the apostle Paul while he was writing a letter to the church in Philippi, a church he planted, a church that was having relational issues. Shocking, eh? A church had relational issues. Even back in that day, things haven't changed. They've just gotten different, right? So they were, so they were having relational issues, and Paul wanted to write them a letter uh, to remind them uh, about the example they had for relationships. So in Philippians chapter 2, we see Jesus or we see Paul talking about Jesus, and this is what he says. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as who? You can answer. Same mindset as who? Christ Jesus, right? Who, so then he says, let me just tell you a little bit about how Jesus did relationships. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself, what? Nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So saying he was fully God, yet fully man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled, everyone say humbled. Humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted, everyone say exalted. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name of others above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. I just want to let you know, every person that has ever lived is going to come to the moment where they're going to bow their knee to worship Jesus. The issue is whether the, when they're going to do it. Right? So that is the eternal destiny of all of us. We're going to bow our knee to King, to King, to King Jesus. The question is when we are going to do it. But the main points I want to bring out here is we see the most important foundational principle of what Jesus did to have healthy relationships, and it was this word humility. Humility. Everyone say humility. It says he, he humbled himself. Now, I think if we're, if we're going to lay a foundation for how Jesus smiled at relationships, we have to talk about this word humility, because at the root of all Jesus taught and lived and showed is this word humility. I want to give you a couple thoughts on that as the appetizer, Okay. <laughs> Uh, first off, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Because many times we think of humility as you have to like lower yourself in order for someone to be lifted up. This is not what Jesus did by being humble. Humility is not you think less of yourself, because Jesus had a very healthy self, self image of himself. Even Jesus said, you, you, you know, love others the way you love who? Yourself, that it's important that we have this healthy, kingdom-minded sense of self, not a worldly, cultural, you're a snowflake, there's no one like you, right? There's a difference in kingdom self-image and culture self-image. Culture self-image is basically, you're great because you make you. You're just awesome. Think good thoughts. Be better. People make millions of dollars saying that trash, Right? When a healthy kingdom self-image is, do you know you're made in God's image? <laughs> like, what? how could anything else be better than that? So you have a healthy view and sense of self, not because of who you are, but because of who God says you are. So if we have that, then we have a healthy sense of self-image. So then, because here's the thing, right? Jesus did not put aside, Jesus did not lose his 
divinity, right? It says he, he set it aside, right? And, 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 and so for us, we have to make sure that we don't have a false humility. Which, and a false humility is I'm gonna downgrade myself so others can be seen of, as good. Where it's like, no, like, like I'm just going to train myself to do as Jesus did, think about myself less. Does that make sense? Do y'all get that, dif- that differentiation? Because we can have a false humility. A lot of people in church have, ah, you know, even when, when you know, because I, you know, I have heard people, you know, you know, come to me and they say, hey, John, like, thank you for that message. You really helped help, help me. And I was always taught to be like, all praise to God, y'all. All praise to God. And I had one guy tell me, John, if, if, you, help so- if you help somebody, say thank you. You don't have to, all praise to God, man. Of course it's all praise to God. It's all his any, anyway, right? But it's, it's like you don't have to false humilify. I don't know if that's even a word. Humilify yourself. You can, you can actually have a good self-image to receive compliments and actually say, thank, thank you for sharing that. I'm so glad it impacted you, right? So it's thinking of yourself less. Secondly, humility uses a position of power to serve others. And this is what we see Jesus doing, right? Jesus and I love, I think it's the New Living Translation. It said, Jesus set aside his divine privileges to serve. And this is what humility does. This is why humility impacts marriage and leadership, right? This is to say, man, you know, man, we are called to be the head in the marriage. And unfortunately, it's been translated, women, you just submit. What people leave out is verse 21 where it says, hey, Paul said, submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. And then it goes into what, sub- what mutual submission in marriage looks like. Men, you're called to be the Christ-like figure, meaning you are called to die. <laughs> Many people take that to mean you're the dominator. No, you are not the lead dominator. You are the lead sacrificer, Right? Welcome to Lifehouse, right? Like this is, you know, why? Be, be, because what Jesus was saying was is you are to take that position of authority that God has given you as, as leading the house and use that to serve your wife. And, what, and, and as she, as your wife sees, this man will lay his life down and serve me. She will have no problem wanting to submit to his leadership. Why? Because Christ, that's why we submit to Christ. We submit to Christ because he gave his life for us. Because he surrendered, he, he set aside his power. He, or he took his power not to make us serve him. He took his power and used it to serve us. And this is what the basis of any good relationship is. Is it's two people that might have a power of whatever, but they don't use it for their own benefit, they use it to serve. Imagine a marriage with two Philippians 2 people. How might different that be? Right? Humility uses up position of power to serve others. Number three, humility obeys the will of God even if it means you lose. Because there will be times in relationships where you will have to take the L. You know what I'm saying? Jesus, it says, he humbled himself to dying on a cross. Can you imagine being Jesus on the cross, being crucified by people you created? This is why I wouldn't be a good Jesus. I'll be zapping everybody. Caiaphas, zap that man. I heard what he said. 
these Roman soldiers. Be zapping everybody. That's why it wouldn't be a good Jesus. But Jesus had to take the L so they could get the win. You see what I'm, see what I'm saying? And being humble means that you are more willing to submit to the will of God more than you care about winning battles. And some, sometimes in relationships, to honor God, you got to take what looks like an L. Number four. This is just the appetizer, so we got a long way to go. <laughs> uh, number four, humility. Here's, here's the thing. Humility, though, is always seen, celebrated, and rewarded by God. Because you see, as Jesus humbled himself, what does it say? Therefore, God did what? Exalted him. I just want to let you know, humility is never in vain. Because God will always see it, celebrate it, and in his time, in his way, you will be rewarded in whatever way that looks like. Okay. That was the appetizer. Let me get into the main dish, all right? So three, three thoughts about Jesus and relationships and how he modeled it. Number one, Jesus had purposeful relationships. So I've said this before, but I want to reiterate it one more time. This is Luke chapter 6. It says, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God. How long? All night. So he did a shut-in. <laughs> and, and any of the saints know what, what that is? Did your parents do a shut-in? They prayed all night. Says he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. And, and here are their names. Simon, Simon, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, um, Simon, Judas Iscariot, right? So, but the thing we need to see here is before Jesus chose his friends, he prayed all night. And I think it's so important for you, for myself, you invite Jesus into who you have as your friends. Because you need purpose with your friendships. You do not need default. You do not need falling into. You need purpose. And purpose includes prayer. What does God say? Who is God speaking to me to have as relationships? Because many times we label relationships good, bad, healthy, unhealthy, toxic, not toxic. These, these can be good and to help you. But I think a question we need to ask, what is the purpose of this relationship? What is the purpose? Because if your purpose is to be like Jesus, you need to ask, is this relationship helping me be like Jesus? Some of y'all that are single and dating, or maybe you might be dating. Can I just ask you this? Is your choice of a potential spouse, because that's what dating is, just to let you know, Christians should not be casually hooking up with whoever to try them out. It's not what Christians do. That's not the, the Philippians 2 thing. Welcome to Lifehouse, okay? We don't casually date. We don't casually hook up. We, we don't just use people's bodies and then throw them away when we don't want them no more. That, that's not the Jesus thing, okay? But, like, you have to ask, like, is, is the person you're potentially going to marry or with, are, are they pushing you towards Jesus or away from Jesus? And I, and I know that's a hard question. Because that's not maybe a question that you have evaluated relationships by. Because that's not what the culture will say. The culture will say, does that person make you happy? And there should be some happiness saying there shouldn't. But the first question, is this person, is, is, do we have purpose 
Is our purpose aligned? Are we following Jesus together? You know what I'm saying? And here is what I'm not saying, right? Is, 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 is that there might be a differentiation in the relationship with where somebody is in their relationship with the Lord. To me, that, that is less important than, or do y'all have the same hope and the same intent and the same purpose to grow in relationship with God, right? And, and that, is, that is what I am encouraging and inviting you to do is, 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 is to evaluate and ask what is the purpose. I'm not trying to break no one up here. I'm not trying to cause hell. I'm not trying to cause your lunch to be bad. But also, too, a good relationship has communication. And it has the ability to, like, share things in a safe place to have a season of evaluation, right? And so I think it's good to ask, what is the purpose? Because here's the thing. God might call you to be in relationship with someone that is not. Now, I'm talking, I'm not, you know, here's what I'm saying. Just, just like, because there is a purpose for you to influence them to follow Jesus. You know what the statement we say all the time? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. If you know who that is true about probably everyone else, it wasn't true about Jesus. Samuel, tell me more, pastor. Because Jesus was a friend of sinners. I believe it's Luke chapter, yeah, Luke chapter seven, Matthew 11. One of the things that Jesus got, the Pharisees beat him up. I mean, like literally just badmouthed him because he was labeled a friend of sinners. But here's the thing. Jesus had purpose in that relationship. He wasn't being around sinners and contributing to their sin. He was not in a relationship with sinners and being influenced to sin. He was in the relationship to be the influence to not sin. And so, and so that to me is a bore because you will feel a draw to a particular relationship with someone that is not a Christian. You'll be like, well, is that going to help, help me? Is that going to whatever? And it's like maybe God is calling you to, be in re, like to have a relationship with that person for the purpose of being the influencer instead of being the influenced. That's why your relationships, y'all, you need God to help give you discernment. Y'all. And if you don't, if you're praying, you're like, I'm not sure, this is why you need to be in community and church so you can ask others to give you some input. Because sometimes God speaks through people. So, I'm, so here, here's my is, is like Jesus had purposeful relationships. Are your relationships purposeful? If they're not, I want to invite you. Invite the Lord in, into that. And really maybe do some evaluation and be like, is this, what's the purpose of this relationship? If you're dating, whatever. Number two, everyone say number two. Number two, Jesus prioritized certain relationships. So Jesus had purposeful relationships, but Jesus also prioritized relationships. You see this in the way Jesus, you know, Jesus said he chose the 12. So he had 12 close friends, disciples that he did life with. But even in the doing life with these 12 disciples, he had three that, were, that, that he was a little closer to. That's why there are some stories in the book in, in the gospel stories, the gospel narratives, that Jesus would only do certain things with Peter, James, and John. Can you imagine how those other disciples felt? Here we go. PJJ again. You got Bartholomew, right? Bartholomew's like, when's Bartholomew going, 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 when's Bartholomew going to get a shot? It's always Peter, James, and John, right? And, but you see, like, 
But I think Jesus, like he, he had to realize because he was fully human, like he had to, in some ways, he was like emotionally limited, right? He, but, but he's also setting an example for us of like, hey, God, I got my circle, I got, I got my 12, but even in that 12, I'm gonna have three that I'm a little close to, a little more intimate with, that I'm gonna be sharing with them things, adorned with them things, and because they would kind of be the ones like, you know, Peter, uh, Peter, James, and John, they would eventually be the main leaders within the church. So Jesus modeled how if, if you're raising up a group of people, even in that group, there will, be certain, there will be certain layers needed in order to give the people what they need to in order to carry on what Jesus was trying to pass. So Peter, James, John, but even in, in that three, Jesus had one that was like his soul friend, and that was the apostle John. And you even see, like, John even referenced them to, as himself as the one who Jesus loves. He was like, I was Jesus' fave, just to let all of you know. He loved me the most. You know, and I, I, I don't think that the, that, that was, because you see, even Jesus entrusted his mother to John at the cross. He said, I know this man. Mom, he's going to take good care of you. Even on the cross, Jesus made sure his people were taken care of. And you can even see this in the way John's gospel is written because there's deep, intimate details about Jesus' life that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't have. Prayers that Jesus prayed. His encounter, like, like the long from, I think it's John 14 after the Last Supper to John 17, just these prayers that Jesus was praying. I mean, this is intimate stuff that the other gospels don't share. Why? Because John had that like, soul friend friendship with Jesus. And I just think it's important, y'all, because here's the thing. In our world, we try to be friends with everybody. And there's nothing, see, here's the thing. Like, you don't need to pray about who you're friendly to. But you do need to be prayer about who you're friends with. You hear what I'm saying? Like, it shouldn't be, God, should I punch this person in the face? I'm just waiting on you, Jaira. You know, when you, Lord, I need a word. Should I cuss him out? <laughs> right? Like, you don't, that's the, that, that ain't stuff you pray, that's stuff you crucify. Okay? That's crazy. We can want to pray about stuff God's clearly said. So it's not praying about or discerning about who we're friendly to, but it is praying about and discerning who we're friends to friends with and then but it's, it even goes more like who you who needs to be prioritized not because they're better than but simply because you're limited if you try to give yourself away to everybody you'll give those closest to you the worst part of you and so we we need discernment we need to evaluate because i mean and really a lot of that trying to please everybody is because we want to be people pleasers well what are they going to think what's my cousin going to think what's my uncle going to think what's this person going to think and you thinking yourself out of loving those who are right near you and giving your best to those whom god has entrusted you with are y'all hearing my heart so not only did jesus prioritize the 12, the three, the one. I think it's most important. Jesus prioritized the relationship with his father. Yes. Yes. With his father, with, 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 with God, with God, his father. And I think, you know, because it's in Luke chapter six, it said Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. 
and right, right, right after this is actually noted in the Bible, it says right before this, Jesus was surrounded by crowds. Can you see Jesus surrounded by these crowds? Healing, teaching, pouring himself out, and then him being like, I need a 30 sec. Any basketball coaches here or, or any basketball fans here? What does that, what does that mean? Give me a T.O., baby. Yeah, I need a 30-second T.O. He said, I got to get with my life source. <laughs> because here's the thing, you can't give what you haven't received. The most beneficial thing you can do to love anyone well is to let yourself be loved by God. Because many times, many times we try to give out of things we haven't received from God. And we haven't seen modeled by someone else. What I have found is that as you prioritize your relationship with God, everything within you and everything around you has the potential to get healthier. So he's saying, right, Jesus received from his father so he could give to others. I believe that the reason he got away so much because he wanted to give away a lot. It was this getting away and giving, getting away and giving. And one of the, one of the, the main things that I think happens whenever we prioritize our relationship with God is what actually happens is we end up healing and becoming sober. Let me talk to you about that. When you prioritize your relationship with God, here's the thing, what you're attracted to will change. And because of that, you'll probably begin some new relationships and others will end. So let me give you an example, right? Some of you, you have what's called drinking buddies. Or maybe it's the wine thing, or maybe you, like the way you were relational and even had a friendship is only when you were drinking something, right? So you start to, and you start to follow Jesus, you start, he's, he's like, hey, you're drinking to run, hey, you're drinking to numb, hey, you're drinking to do these things, and then you start to be like, oh, I can replace God with drinking, I don't have to rely on something to numb me or something to get me tipsy so I can function. I can actually invite the Holy Spirit to replace drinking. Okay? Everybody got it? But it doesn't, just, it doesn't have to be drinking. It could be anything that you, re, that you want to replace the Holy Spirit with. Everyone's got a bottle of some sort. Some of it, it's alcohol. Some people, it might be drugs. Some people, it might be pornography. Some people, it might be extramarital relationships. Some people, it might be purchasing. For some people, it might be gambling. It's like we all got a little bottle that we try to numb and run. But as you let the Lord in and as you start to prioritize relationship with him, one of the things that happens is you start to sober up. And that's being sober isn't just about drinking. Being sober is about being sober-minded so you can make right decisions. That's one of the main things that Paul and Peter wrote two churches they planted. They said, be sober-minded so you can do what? Judge rightly. So what you find is as Jesus heals you, you'll actually start to see some of these relationships were actually built on pretty toxic things. So you got your drinking buddies. All you did was drink. And if you don't want to drink no more, you know what you're going to have to do? Hey, I don't want to be this kind of person no more. And do you know what might happen? Some of those relationships will end. Because what bonded you together was brokenness. What bonded you together wasn't healthy. And as you're getting healthy, some of those relationships might need to die. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? But it's maybe not just might be drinking. It could be, it could be, 
It could be trauma. You can be bonded together by, by, by because here's, here's, the, here's the thing, right? Like, you, and when, you're in, when you're in a certain season where you're really, where you're really needy, typically needy attracts needy. Okay? And so when you start to find your need met in God and you start to heal, that might expose your relationship was not built on a good foundation. And I'm not saying abandon the person and just let them go, but it's like as God heals you, you'll actually start to attract what you are becoming, which is healed and whole. And you have soberness and you can start to discern and, you have jud- jud- and, and you've got judgment where there might be a season where like the person that you were connected with and in relationship with, they aren't healing and they're wanting to stay the same and you have to evaluate, am I going to? Where does this relationship need to be? What is the purpose? Y'all seeing what I'm saying? If you're married though, this is no reason to get a divorce. Because some are like, well, I've grown past her. That's great. But you're in covenant marriage. So you growing doesn't mean you ditch her. Now guess what you get to be, sir? You get to be like Jesus. Who did what? Put aside his power to serve. So if you're in a, in a relationship, a covenant marriage, and you say one of y'all is healing and growing, then it is now your job and your responsibility to come beside the person that still needs some healing. Y'all seeing what I'm saying? Because here's the thing is, you prioritize your relationship with God, you'll actually find that some relationships need, need to end, but you'll find others need to begin as well. All right, let me talk to you about some relational priorities that we see, okay? So, all right, I got a little bit of time left. Um, relational priorities, because they're like prioritizing relationships. Let's get practical. The first one we need to prioritize as people is our relationship with God. But secondly, um, our spouses. If you are married, the second most important relationship in your life is your spouse. You've got your relationship with God, and then your second most important relationship is your spouse. And then your third relationship, if you're a father, you know, if you're a father, mother, whatever, then it's your child. And then from there, it's everyone else. Why is having this important? Because we can have a proclivity as people to misprioritize relationships. Where some relationships should be in certain places, but they, it ends up getting mixed up. So let me give you an example, right? Spouses, dads, fathers, men. I want to speak to y'all real quick, because what we can do as men is we can have the proclivity to put our work above our spouse. Even above God, right? Because we say we want to provide. We, we want to love. So we, and that's simply sometimes the main way a man provides. Is we say, well, I'm working hard. I'm doing, doing this. And, and I, I can relate with that. And, and, but what I want to say is, is just maybe make sure that you are asking your wife, are you feeling prioritized? You're trying to make your money. You're trying to do your thing. Ask, are you, do you feel prioritized? Right? Ladies, some, sometimes what can happen is when there are child, child, children, your spouse dips below your kids. Everybody following? So you got a kid on your hip, so your spouse dips. In the order. And that's a natural proclivity for ladies, right? You, you are naturally 
nurturing and caring, so you want to make sure the kid is good. But what can happen is sometimes the husband's like, yo, you need... I'm here still. So you can, can you kind of see how men and women can fall into this? Men, they can take work and put it above their spouse. Sometimes women can take the kids and put it above their spouse, right? And this is a generalization. I, I know there's different things, and there's different things that can replace different, different things. But when this happens, we have to make sure that, that we, we are asking our spouse, do you feel prioritized? Communication is so important. Communication is vital to saying because here's the the thing. What you'll find, needs in different seasons can change. Men, like if you have a season where you've got little little kids, probably one of the ways your wife will feel prioritized is if you help her around the house. Right? If if there's a season, men, you're in a heavy work season and stuff like that, ladies, you need to ask your man, how how can you feel prioritized? Like, do y'all see how the concept of humility is so vital here. Yeah. It's the foundation. It's saying, how can I serve? How can I love? How can I make sure you have the right priority? And let me tell you too, what can happen is this priority list can get messed up when the kids have too high of a priority in your home. Can I speak to y'all a little bit? It's important, families, hus- husbands, wives, parents, it's important you, that your kids know You love your spouse more than them. My three boys know. I tell them all the time, I love your mom more than y'all. I tell them because y'all leaving. Your mama not. I am in covenant relationship with your mother. Y'all going to be raised up to go and start another covenant marriage. I am in covenant marriage with her. And even one of the most important things you can show and model to your kids is to parents prioritizing each other. Because how many of you, you grew up in a home where that didn't happen and it's affected you? You didn't feel safe. You didn't feel secure. And one of the most important things, moms and dads, parents, that you can model to your kids is, is, is prioritizing your relationship with God and your relationship with each other. And letting them know, hey, your mom, your, like we, we love each other and we love y'all. But I want to let y'all know where the priorities are. It's vital for health, relational priorities. Are y'all getting my heart on that? I hope y'all don't hear I'm trying to be crass, whatever. I'm trying to get practical because if we don't, in our minds, prioritize, we will give the worst of ourselves and the least of ourselves to those that deserve our best. To to those that deserve the best of us. And because we are limited, we have to think about who has God entrusted to me and how can I make sure they feel prioritized. You know what? Maybe for lunch today, maybe husbands, wives, you go and ask your spouse, do you feel prioritized? If you say, if they say no, they don't, give them space to talk. Don't defend yourself. Give them space to share and ask them why. And instead of wanting to have that little lawyer rise up in you to defend, why don't you have that lawyer sit down and just take some notes? Because, y'all, this is what Philippians 2 is. It's humbleness. Okay. 
Lastly, Josie, can you come up so I can land this plane? Jesus prioritized relationships. Jesus had purposeful relationships. Well, one of the things that I think we need to close out with is the reminder that Jesus provides us with relationship, with himself. One of the things that Jesus told his disciples before he died is he said this to them, John, John chapter 15. This is the gospel, intimate gospel. John wrote this. He said, and this is Jesus talking. He said, I no longer call you, he's talking to his disciples. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you what? Friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus was wanting them to know, I am your rabbi, I am your teacher, I am your Lord, I am your savior, but do not forget, I am also your friend. And I think it's so vital for us because some of you have been in a real like doctrine-driven church. Jesus is Lord, he's savior, he's king, he's sovereign, he's, he's providential, he's all of these words and these are true and we believe that, we teach that, we preach that. It is, it, it is foundational, but we can also miss the fact that Jesus is our friend. And it's not either or, it's both and. He is our king, our savior, Lord. He's ruling and reigning and come back to crush his enemies. Like he's, he's King Jesus, but he also says, I'm your friend. It's a tension we hold, family, to where, because what this does is it helps us to not just have Jesus as something in our minds, a theological thought. It's also getting into our hearts because it's relational. So many people have missed this about Jesus because they've put him in in their mind, which is good. But Jesus said, love Lord God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. I believe if you don't see Jesus as being your friend, you're missing that relational heart connection that you need with him. So he says, I'm, I'm his friend. You are his friend. If you follow him, he, he is your friend. Um, there is a book that came out about two weeks ago. It's called Practicing the Way. And if there is any book that I would recommend in 2024, like if you will read this book and you need someone to buy it for you, I will buy it for you. <laughs> so if you have a cell phone, take it, take out, take a picture. There's so many things in this book. That I'm like, this is Lifehouse. This is, this is what we're hoping to see people do. We're just not trying to be like Jesus. We want to train to be like Jesus. It's not who we're following. It's what or who are we following, right? It's like, you know, it's just a lot of stuff that I believe we teach and preach and believe about following Jesus. So I just want to encourage you, man, if you have a book that you want to read outside the Bible, pick this one up. And one of the things that talks about, it says the first principle of following Jesus is learning to be with Jesus. And I'm reading this stuff and I'm like, this is better. This is what I'm trying to say was better. But he's saying it so much better than I would say it. Sorry, I'm just really excited about it. But it was like, but he's talking about being with Jesus as being the foundational principle of following him, being with him. And one of the things he talks about, he, he shares this, this kind of like this portion of it. I'll just go ahead and read it for you. It says, um, the retreat leader and spiritual director, Majory Thompson, tells a story of a conversation between an 18th century priest and an elderly peasant who would sit alone for hours in the quiet of the church. When the priest asked what he was doing, the old man simply replied, I look at him, he looks at me and we are happy. And I just want you to focus on those words. I look at him, he looks at me, and we're happy. And the heart about this is friendship with God. 
friendship with Jesus. And look, I know this isn't all we do with Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts us and challenges us and, 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 convicts us and convicts us of sin. All of those things, I'm not discrediting that. That's important. The Holy Spirit will do that. And, but also too, don't forget that at the foundation of all of that is the fact that you're friends with Jesus is your friend. And if you take some time to contemplate on him and look at him and have, have, and have him look at you, you could have the opportunity to have a joy in your relationship with Jesus. Just, just being with him. Just, just looking at him, he looks at you and there's this deep level of happiness and joy that comes from this truth. You are a friend of God. And my prayer is that as we believe and teach, God, Jesus, I mean, sovereign, he's providential, he's powerful, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. He's also your friend, man. And that we would be a church that as we're learning to live better, to be in better relationships, that we understand we have access to the better relationship. Jesus, as friend. Stand up with me, life. life also, let's go ahead and end. Was that helpful? Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we just love you today. We invite you into this time, Lord, as we have concluded the message. Holy Spirit, we say we invite you in. Holy Spirit, have your way. Holy Spirit, have your way. So just right now, with every head bowed, every, every eye closed, just... We're gonna close out and receive communion together. But before we do, I just really feel God saying like, hey, we need to have the opportunity for some people to become my friends. And I know many of you have maybe not have thought about things like that. And I know for some people here that that might be hard, but I believe that as Jesus is Lord and Savior and sovereign and all of those things, I believe that there was a reason he was called the friend of sinners. Because Jesus knew the way to people's heart is to be friends. Is to realize the opportunity that there's an opportunity to be in friendship with Jesus. And I just want to invite some of you here. Maybe you grew up in church, but you've never had a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you know a lot of the Bible, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's possible to go to church, read the Bible, do all those things, but in your depths of your soul, know you're not in relationship with him. I just want to invite you to be to follow Jesus, to put him as Lord and Savior, to become his friend. So just right now with every about every eye closed, maybe you'd say, that's me, John. The way we do it at our church, we just have you say yes. Nothing special. There's, we just believe that as you say yes, you're opening up your heart, the, the door of your heart to let Jesus come in and be Lord, King, Savior, and friend. So just, that's you. You want to say yes to Jesus today. Have him be Lord and be his friend. I'm just going to count to three when I do. Just say yes. Ready? One, two, three. I just want to invite those of you that said yes today. We're gonna to pray together and there's nothing special about this prayer. It's just me putting your hand in, in Jesus' hand. That's what it's ultimately about. A pastor doesn't save you. A church doesn't save you. Jesus saves, Jesus saves you. So we wanna take your hand and put it in Jesus' hand. So just, I was gonna invite all, all those that you already know Jesus to join with those who are becoming friends with Jesus today just to pray this prayer with me. Pray this, Jesus. Thank you for allowing me to be your friend. Jesus. I make a decision today to follow you, for you to be my Lord, my Savior, my King. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross 
in my place and for my sins, yet rising and defeating Satan's sin and death. So in response, I give you all of me and I receive all of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you said that prayer today, we want to welcome you to the family of God. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot Lifehouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about Lifehouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.